Guy Stories. I'm Sam Yushio. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. This is the season one wrap-up. Wow. Uh, This episode will be a bit of a change of pace. We'll have no guest to interview, and the segment will be quite a bit shorter. So on this episode, uh, we will tackle three topics. So number one, some insights from the world of Ikigai over the course of last year, 2019. Uh, Some information coming from the academic world, some information coming from the business world. Number two, we'll talk about what's in store for 2020. And number three, some reflection, positive momentum moving into the year uh, 2020. So first, I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful and humbled by this entire experience. It's kind of mind-blowing to me right now that I'm on a season one wrap-up for a podcast called Ikigai Stories. Uh, It still feels surreal, and I wanted to make sure that I say thank you to whoever's listening right now. If this is the first time you're listening, thank you. Thank you for being here. For everybody that has been a guest, I'm truly humbled by your willingness to share your inspirational stories that have selfishly for me, personally for me, uh, have served as an inspiration throughout this journey and will continue to serve as an inspiration throughout this journey. There are times when I recall sound bites from various guests uh, when I'm hitting different moments in life. So thank you to every single guest that has participated And thank you to the listeners. Uh, All of you hopefully are getting something out of this podcast. Some of you uh, have reached out. And to those of you who have reached out, I am so grateful. Uh, That has been another, that's been an unexpected swell of positive momentum. When a stranger reaches out and says, hey, uh, I really appreciate you interviewing this person, um, because of that person's story, I have made a change or I'm uh, changing my approach, my perspective. That's really rewarding. Probably the most rewarding part of this entire experience. Uh, Meeting people who I never would have met, who are inspired by other people who I've had the opportunity to learn from. So thank you across the board, to the guests, to the listeners, to those who've reached out, and then also a very, very special guest, or special thank you, to Jesse Rubin, the producer. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Jesse Rubin is uh, a creative bolt of lightning. Uh, He brings this podcast to life, and he is a heck of an individual who is doing some amazing things in this world, and in some ways, actually in a lot of ways, is living his ikigai by being the producer of the Ikigai Stories podcast. So special thanks to Jesse. Finally, one one last thank you is for those of you who contributed to the Kickstarter campaign about a year ago. The, the idea of a podcast was pretty foreign to me. I thought Kickstarter could be a way to get a litmus test on whether there would be demand or interest in this type of idea. A lot of you contributed, and for those of you that contributed, that momentum continues today. So thank you. So the wrap up, the timing of this wrap up falling at this time of year is intentional. 
coming off of uh, the beginning of the new year. You know, we reset, we turn the calendar, uh, we have our resolutions, our intentions. Over the course of week two or week three of January, a lot of that positive momentum drops off completely and we're defaulting back to our old ways pretty quickly. So the season one wrap-up is placed here by design. Serve as a as an opportunity to get back on that positive momentum horse. And uh, all of those intentions, all of those resolutions, they're not dead. You can still get back to them regardless of what has happened over the course of the last uh, couple weeks or so. Or maybe you just recalibrate them. There's a word that, that I use frequently in ikigai efforts. Uh, that word is seikatsu. Uh, seikatsu uh, translates into daily life. And so if we think about uh, ikigai through the lens of seikatsu, I'm aiming to encourage or to empower is the ability to harness control today or even in the moment, which is a lot different than another Japanese word called jinsei, which means lifetime. So if we, if we kind of take a step back and talk about ikigai, the, the uh, interpretation of ikigai as your reason for being or your purpose, if I walked up to you on, your, on the street and said, excuse me, what's your purpose? Most likely, your mind is going to drift to the jinsei side. You're going to start to think about, well, what, am, what is my lifetime purpose? What am I on this planet to do? And by introducing the concept of seikatsu, daily life, and saying, well, what's my purpose today? That allows the ability to harness uh, control. We have more agency. We have more ability to think in shorter segments. And so connecting seikatsu to your New Year's resolution or just to, at some point you probably thought, hey, uh, I've got a fresh start. It's the year 2020. I'm going to go out and conquer the world. And then maybe something happened that kind of knocked you back a little bit. Um, Seikatsu, the ikigai framework, the ikigai philosophy through the seikatsu framework gives you that ability to get back up and start a new day, start a, a new list get back on that horse. So I would encourage you to do that. I want to start off with a story. Uh, I'll say start off, even though we've already started off. Uh, You'll notice that I have a tendency to do that. I'd like to tell a quick story. So uh, over the holidays, I traveled to Brazil with my family. My wife is part Brazilian and has a lot of family in Brazil. Uh, We actually had a wedding ceremony in Alliance, Nebraska, and also a wedding ceremony in Brazil. So Brazil has a special place for us. Um, So we went back to Brazil for the holidays, and one of the spots that we stopped at was a farm located in the Pantanal. Uh, So the Pantanal is the world's largest wetland. Uh, It's about the size of the state of Washington. Some family has a farm in the wetlands, and this is in a very remote area of Brazil. To get to this remote area, just to provide some perspective, we had to um, drive on a dirt road, get on a boat, and then ride a boat on the Cuiabá River for about 10 minutes to the farm. It's an amazing place in the middle of an amazing part of the world. However, when we got there, uh, we were off the grid and didn't have cell service. 
There was no internet. And uh, on day two, we were told, hey, we're going to go bring the kids. We're going to go out to the dock and we're going to fish on the Cuyoba River for piranha. Uh, now, I'd already heard that there were piranha in this river. There was crocodiles in the river. Uh, there was wildlife everywhere, as you can imagine, in the world's largest wetland. Um, and I was, as a parent, my, uh, you know, my my parent warning signal, my my dad radar was going off. Like, hey, I don't know if this is the best idea for an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old to cast a line into a river and try to catch a killer fish. So I went in with a lot of hesitation and uh, probably not the, the, the most positive attitude that I could have had. And so we go out there and go kind of slowly and we're observing others who have done this before. And what I realize is, you know, the fishing for piranha in this river isn't that dangerous. Basically, it's like fishing for any other fish. And so the kids cast a line and catch piranha. We're reeling in piranha, and eventually we're uh, making piranha soup, or someone's making piranha soup later that night, which was delicious. And th- I start with that story because the the experience was an amazing experience that between um, m- my family and I and some other family members that I'll never forget. But I went in with the wrong attitude, and I went in with the wrong attitude because my perspective was rooted pretty heavily in the what ifs on the negative side. So what if uh, something goes wrong? What if, you know, just all the what ifs, all the fear-based what ifs. And if I would have let those what ifs or that fear take control, we never would have had this incredible experience that will live with us forever. And so I start there because there's, there's a lot to be learned when we don't let fear drive drive the car. We're driving. We're in control. Fear is there, but it's not in the driver's seat. So that was a an experience that was very present for me. Um, that whole Brazil experience is still very present for me. If you look at the image on the season one wrap up on uh, the Ikigai Stories website, uh, or for those of you that saw this on social media, the image is the dock where we fished for the piranha. So you can check that out. So I'm going to start with a story about Brazil and end with the story of Brazil. So the, the message there is, um, you know, don't let fear uh, stop you. Let's talk about some insights over the course of the, of the year 2019. The first is from the academic world. Uh, so in May of 2019, The University of Michigan School of Public Health published research in the Journal of American Medical Association that linked purpose to longevity. So the University of Michigan School of Public Health is responsible for the Health and Retirement Study. It's a longitudinal study that's been around for decades. In 2006, I believe it was 2006, they overlaid that study with a psychological well-being a survey that asked a very simple series of questions that was driving toward, do you have purpose in life? Now, the health and retirement study was already looking at other data points, uh, you know, age, wealth, uh, ethnicity, education, gender, 
exercise, like all these various variables. And then they overlaid that database with this psychological well-being survey. So it kind of takes the quantifiable hard data and then overlays it with subjective qualitative data on what's going on in a person's mind. If that person says, yes, I have a purpose in life, or that person says, no, I don't have a purpose in life, that's obviously subjective to that individual. They they uh, removed all the outliers and they landed on approximately 7,000 Americans over the age of 50 years old. So f- for that group, after controlling for ethnicity, education, income, uh, gender, uh, how much you drink alcohol, how much you smoke cigarettes, uh, how regular you exercise, they found that the largest contributing factor to longevity was, do you have purpose in life? And in that research, so if you track down that research, in that research, they actually cite four studies, uh, Ikigai research studies from Japan, starting in, I believe, the year 2004 and going through the year 2010 or 11. And actually, in the research report, they, they reference Ikigai in the introduction. It's in paragraph, uh, paragraph two. And so seeing that link reinforced and seeing that, that empirical data was a good reinforcement of the efforts that are happening here. So I'd encourage you, if you're interested, to check that out. If you go to, if you just Google J-A-M-A, that's the Journal of American Medical Association, Purpose in uh, purpose Longevity, you type in those three words, JAMA, Purpose, Longevity, you'll find that research report. It's a comprehensive research report, and you can get some underlying data uh, on Ikigai and the impact on, uh, that Ikigai has on, on um, a number of various wellness factors. So that's number one. The other insight over the course of the year 2019 from the business world, so in October of 2019, an association called the Business Roundtable, which is an association of 191 CEOs of American companies, the Business Roundtable published uh, the purpose of a corporation, which essentially was redefining the purpose of a corporation. Uh, 180 of the 191 CEOs signed this declaration, so it wasn't all of the CEOs, but almost all of the CEOs signed the declaration of a purpose of a corporation. And before I mention some of the companies, I won't mention the names of the CEOs, but I'll mention the companies that they represent. I think it's important to just first talk about what is the purpose of a corporation. So historically, the purpose of a corporation has been very simple, just maximize shareholder wealth. And that could come at the cost of other stakeholders within that corporation's ecosystem. So for example, if the culture of an organization is for employees to work 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week. That may be best for maximizing shareholder wealth. That would not be in the best interest of the employee. That's bad for, that leads toward burnout, that's bad for wellness, etc. Another example would be if there's a company that's dumping toxic chemicals into waterways that may maximize shareholder wealth. Obviously, that's not good for the environment or the community that surrounds that particular uh, 
plant. So this definition or redefining this, um, the statement that redefines the purpose of a corporation is an important inflection point for society in that the 300-word statement doesn't talk about shareholders until we're at 250. And in advance, these 180 CEOs that signed this declaration put the following statements in advance of shareholder. Uh, Investing in employees, fostering diversity and inclusion, dealing fairly and ethically with suppliers, supporting the communities in which we work, and protecting the environment. You can argue that there's not much significance in the fact of th- that they're prioritizing these statements in advance of the word shareholder. Fine, that's, that's subject to debate. I think what's most important is that they're putting these statements at the table in alignment with uh, maximizing shareholder wealth. So change doesn't happen overnight. It's not like that we're going to flip a switch and be a completely different business in a different society overnight. But I think these 180 CEOs that signed this declaration are signaling to the world that we're moving into a different era of business. Now, here are some of the names of the businesses, so not the CEOs, but some of the businesses that signed the declaration. From the tech world, we've got companies like Apple, Amazon, Salesforce, IBM, Cisco, Oracle. From financial world, we've got Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, uh, Vanguard. Sorry, I mentioned Morgan Stanley twice. Uh, from the consumer products world and just large well-known brands, we've got Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Walmart, Ford, GM, Caterpillar, John Deere, Chevron, Boeing, uh, ConocoPhillips. Uh, so a lot of very well-known brands that are significant uh, in in the world of business. And so when you think through the lens of Seikatsu, you think through the lens of Ikigai, you think about what's being signaled from the business roundtable, you think about the empirical evidence that's coming out of the University of Michigan uh, with the health and retirement longitudinal study linking purpose to longevity. We're definitely in a unique state right now in the year 2020. And so all that to say that these stories that you're hearing uh, and these people that you're hearing from serve as representatives and leaders on where the world is moving, and in particular, where uh, industry is moving. And so if you you know, go back to some of these episodes and kind of think through those lenses of you know, connecting longev- purpose to longevity about the business roundtable signaling this new era of business and the purpose of a corporation and just what you can do or how you can harness that type of control to lead in to your life. So part two here is what's in store for 2020. So it's a good segue on what's in store for 2020. Uh, over the course <clears throat> excuse me, of the last year, I had an insight digging into the Ikigai research and getting familiar with the Ikigai philosophy that Ikigai in many ways connects to positive psychology. The positive psychology is a somewhat new, new movement. Formally, it was recognized 
as a movement in 1998 by Martin Seligman, who was the president of the American Psychology Association, who said uh, psychology is half-baked. we got to think about the other side. Instead of just getting people from negative to neutral, let's think about getting people f- focusing on the other side, on the positive side. But then also part of that positive psychology movement is Don Clifton. And growing up in small-town Nebraska, going to undergrad at the University of Nebraska, I'm a little bit disappointed that it's taken me four decades, over four decades, to uh, to really connect with Don Clifton's movement and the Clifton Strings effort that comes out of Gallup. So Don Clifton was a psychology professor at the University of Nebraska in the 50s, and he asked a really simple question. The simple question was, what would happen if we focused on what was right with people? And so from that movement, from that question, was born a movement that's strengths-based psychology. So Don Clifton was awarded in 2002 uh, an honor from the American Psychology Association, calling him the father of strengths-based psychology. And as I got more in-depth into the Ikigai research, I started to see linkages between Clifton strengths and Ikigai, and eventually it became just a no-brainer that I would go through the process of becoming a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach. So that happened late last year, and that's part of what's to come in the year 2020. Now, there aren't many people who take pride in the minor that they had in undergrad, but I was a psychology minor uh, at the University of Nebraska, and I take uh, an extra amount of pride in, uh, in, in taking four or five classes that were somehow linked to Don Clifton's efforts. So in the year 2020, we've got a couple offerings that are coming your way. So the first is Ikigai Lab. Ikigai Lab is a team-based program designed for high-performance organizations seeking to maximize the power of purpose. There's a combination of old-school and new-school methodologies, which are Ikigai philosophy and Clifton Strengths positive psychology, that drive toward three primary outcomes. Number one, increased employee engagement. Number two, enhanced employee wellness. And number three, the development of a strengths-based culture, leveraging Clifton Strengths, also formerly known as StrengthsFinder. Now, organizations that focus on these outcomes find incredible results. So there was a Gallup study of 1.2 million employees that revealed that strengths-based organizations have the following results. Number one, they have an increase, an incredible increase of 29% in profit. Number two, an increase of 7% in customer engagement. And number three, a 15% increase in employee engagement. Ikigai Lab is the resources, the tools, the processes to take high-performance organizations into this next era uh, as signaled by the Business Roundtable. The second offer is Ikigai Lab one-on-one coaching. This is a one-on-one coaching program for senior leaders who are looking to recalibrate, reboot, refocus. Participants are guided through a personalized discovery process, which is really designed to uncover unique personal insights. Those insights are then the fuel for the design of a custom Ikigai Roadmap, which focuses on 
five dimensions of wellness. So we're focusing on social, physical, intellectual, emotional, and professional. So how can you be more intentional? How can you first take an inventory of how you're showing up in those dimensions? And then how can you put a roadmap in motion so that you can take action to live with more intention within those five respective dimensions? A Gallup certified strengths coach provides ongoing support and accountability to empower participants to maximize their talents for both personal and professional growth. The one-on-one coaching is designed for professionals with a minimum of 15 years of work experience and a clear, concrete dedication to taking incremental steps to improve. So to find more information about either of these two offerings, you can go uh, to the website, which is ikigaistories.com, or you can also go to the show notes. Okay, so as we move down the home stretch into the wrap-up of the season one wrap-up, uh, first uh, uh, sneak preview, a bit of a promo for the first episode of season two. It's with Dragos Agzent. So Dragos is the CEO of Novo Fogo, a cachaça company, Brazilian spirits company that distills in Mojetes, Brazil, but is based in the Seattle area. Forbes calls this company a case study in conscientious capitalism. It, the company just does amazing things. So they they distill in Brazil. They educate the children of the farmers in Brazil. They do wellness events for bartenders. They are leading a reforestation project in Brazil to preserve endangered native uh, species of trees. And Novo Fogo as a company is incredible. Dragos Accent as a human being is incredible as well. Dragos grew up in Romania. His family fled in 1991 after the Iron Curtain fell. And uh, I'll just leave it at that. It's quite an amazing story that's very inspirational. That's the sneak preview for season two. The final story that I'd like to tell ties to Brazil. So as as the family and I were flying into Brazil... And as we were landing in Sao Paulo, which is, I believe, the fourth largest city in the world, it's the largest city in South America, as we're landing in Brazil, uh, jet lagged, kind of tired from traveling all over the place, I had this flashback to the last time we were in Brazil. And at that time, uh, my wife and I were traveling alone because we weren't parents yet. Uh, so our energy level was quite a bit different. The flashback that I had was when we visited, it was the 100-year anniversary of Brazil opening up the country to Japanese immigrants. And in Brazil is the largest congregation of Japanese outside of Japan. So there's an area in Sao Paulo called Liberdade, which is the largest congregation of Japanese in Brazil, which is the largest congregation of Japanese outside of Japan. I believe 1.2 million Japanese are in Sao Paulo. And so when you go into to Liberdade, it feels like you're in Japan. And it just so happened that our, the timing of our last trip, uh, which I believe was 2009, aligned with the 100-year celebration of Brazil opening um, the immigration laws. And so as we walked the streets, there was, you know, there was this unique sense of my wife is part Brazilian, I'm part Japanese. And it just, there was this very tangible clarity 
on the world. And that clarity on the world quickly went away. We walked into a cafe. And in that cafe in Liberdaji, where everything was in kanji with Japanese script, while we were sitting down drinking a coffee, in walked uh, a group of, of, of Japanese, elderly Japanese women. I'd say the average age is probably 85. And as they walked in, I kind of smiled and I thought, oh, they remind me of my Japanese grandmother who lives back in Alliance, Nebraska. And, and they sat down next to us. Now, my mind was processing. I knew I was in a foreign country, obviously. We had been in Brazil uh, for, a, for a while at that point. But we're in this Japanese district of Brazil, and I see these elderly Japanese women. And so my brain's kind of trying to process all that. And as they sit down next to me, I kind of lean over to hear them talk, and I'm expecting them to speak in Japanese. And what blows me away is that they're not speaking in Japanese. They're speaking in Portuguese. And at that moment, the world got really small really quickly. I recall that moment very distinctly. And as we were traveling this last time around, flying into Brazil, the, that, that moment became very crystal clear to me. And I remember thinking how small the world was. And then I started to think, well, I have a Japanese grandmother Japanese-American grandmother that lives in Alliance, Nebraska, who's roughly about the same age. And I wonder if it blows people's, other people's minds when she's speaking fluent English because she grew up on a farm in Colorado. And so the world got really small that day, and I had a lot of epiphanies and breakthroughs that day. And then I flashed back to a trip that I took to Japan with my father and his siblings and my, and my grandparents, where we were walking the streets of Japan talking English. And a lot of heads were turning, looking at us, wondering why are these people talking fluent English? And so all that to say that uh, it comes down to perspective, that the the age-old saying, don't judge a book by its cover, I think is, is really important. The universe continues to remind me about these lessons. But as I reflected on that uh, that moment and thought about perspective and our ability to you know, lead with uh, intention um, and take control, harness control of where we want to be and how we want to show up, I would encourage you through the Ikigai lens, through the Seikatsu lens, to just take a minute after this podcast ends to think. Turn the podcast off, take 60 seconds, set the timer on your phone for 60 seconds, and just sit there for a moment and just think about your life. And through this lens of Seikatsu, write down three things that you want to accomplish today. And if you do that today and then start to align your actions with those priorities over the course of the next couple hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast, and just do that today. And then try to do that tomorrow. Take a minute, take five minutes to just sit down and think about things, and then write down three things that you want to accomplish for that day. So Akiro Hasegawa is a Japanese psychiatrist, and he's one of the experts that I've come across that has research on Ikigai. And Hasegawa says, if you, know, if you live today, if you align your actions with prior, your priorities today, you do that today, and then you do that again tomorrow, and then you have a week full of those days, and then you have a month full of those weeks, and then you have a lifetime of those months, that's what Ikigai is. It's not this existential crisis, what am I on this planet to do? And so I strongly, strongly encourage you to 
Sit in that moment. Think about what's important to you. Write down three things you want to accomplish today and then go out there and accomplish those things for the day. And I want to finish by saying just thank you again. I'm very excited about what's to come in the year 2020. And I'm going to close out this episode of Season 1 Wrap-Up with the sounds from the dock on the Cuyabaw River in the Pantanal where we were fishing for piranha, and life taught me another lesson. And it serves as an inspiration for me and hopefully an inspiration for you to live with more intention.